Good morning, Gateway family. It's great to be with you again this morning, and it's hard to believe it's already the month of May and that we've been together, or not together the past six weeks or so. And But I just want to let you know our leadership continues to pray for you. We miss all of you very much. Uh, you don't have our thoughts and our prayers. And uh, we're just very excited about a few weeks ahead when we're able to come together again in this place to worship the Lord, to encourage one another, to have fellowship together. And 
And in that same light, we just want to make a few announcements regarding that. I know many of you um, have received already uh, through the church email uh, the update with the coronavirus state restrictions that Governor Ivey and her task force mentioned this past week. And so we just wanted to remind all of you that continuing to go forward, we're going to remain uh, doing these online services uh, for May 10th and May 17th. Even though Governor Ivey and her task force are going to be meeting on the 15th to reassess things, we're going to continue on in this way over the next three weeks to just prepare accordingly um, to be able to prepare for the time when we are able to gather again. So just continue to be looking out that for emails and those on the blog. You can look at those updates on the website. We also want to remind you of a couple opportunities uh, where people are in need. Uh, Grady has also been faithful to send out emails in regards to this. One is uh, where we are able to help and provide food to the families whose children attend Capitol Heights Middle School. There's opportunity for us to provide food or finances. Um, Seth Rodebeck and Megan Rodebeck have been very faithful to help lead out in that and to contact the families and those of the administration at Capitol Heights to be able to get the food and the necessary resources to those families. Also, we just recently sent out the email regarding Helena and the kids at the New Life Center there in Dehradun, India. And uh, we know that there's opportunity to give, there's opportunity to pray. And uh, we just pray that you go to the blog there, read up on that again. Just ask the Lord if there's something that he desires you to do in regarding to help support them in this time uh, to provide for the families in the mountain um, region of that area for food and also for some of the teachers and the children that are attending the school there. And those are also available on the website. And lastly, we just want to continue to encourage you, since the restrictions have been lifted somewhat to where we are now able to meet together in groups of 10 or less, uh, we just pray, obviously, to continue to respect social distancing and use wisdom in that. But there may be more opportunities for you as the body of Christ and friends to get together, to have fellowship, to maybe watch the service together, maybe have a Bible study together, just hang out in fellowship, pray with one another. So we just want to encourage you to continue to be aware of that and to go out of your way to look up phone numbers and emails um, on the Gateway Connect directory to get those information to be able to um, fellowship and be with one another. I'm mean, going to, again, I just want to start us off this morning by declaring a wonderful chapter from Psalm 33 um, to just pray this over us and declare this over us this morning before we begin our time of worship. Psalm chapter 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. 
The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let's worship the Lord together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to come and worship you and praise you, give you the honor and glory that is so due your name. God, we do thank you each week. I'd never take for granted the opportunity that we have to pause during our service and to spend some time in prayer, to, to intercede, to stand in the gap for individuals, for nations, for people groups, for situations that are going on around us, God, because you are the true source. There is no other answer but you. And so we confidently come before you each week together in unity, corporately, in full agreement, God, that you're going to hear our prayers and act upon them faithfully. And we trust you with that, Lord. And so as we do each week during this season, God, we're going to continue and continue to ask and just stir and ask for your mercy, Lord, your mercy and healing and protection for our Gateway family, for those connected to our families in relationship during this pandemic. God, we just pray that you continue to keep us safe and free from illness. Those that may be struggling with illness now, God, we continue to say you are the Lord, our healer. We pray for healing. We pray for wisdom for doctors, anybody involved in different situations that have to do with our health. Um, but God, we continue to entrust all of us to you in your care. And Lord, as we've been doing the past few weeks, we thank you for the opportunity to pray for some of the first responders, those that are on the front lines. And this morning, Lord, we lift up two guys. Um, the first is Ryan Jenkins, Lord. He is an EMT and also Ben Bedient, who's uh, with the fire department. And Lord, we thank you for these two brothers. We thank you for their faithfulness, their sacrifice to give of themselves, to be in harm's way at times, to lead out in this. Um, for Ryan as an EMT going out on calls and helping bring medical care, Lord, continue to protect him from any viral stuff, from any type of health issues, keep him safe, God, and strengthened. And Lord, for Ben, in the midst of this time where there may be numerous calls out for fires and many people still at home and there could be opportunities for these things to take place, we pray for your protection over he and his, his um, firehouse where he is leading over. We pray for wisdom for him and these opportunities for both of these guys to be salt and light in their respective areas. And Lord, I just felt led this week just to pray for our gateway marriages. God, I just know in this time over these past six weeks or so, and it's been very difficult at times of having to be home a lot or having to plan schedules with children or jobs, um, not being as faithful to work or just our whole schedule. Everything's kind of been turned upside down. And Lord, that can have very, very strong impacts in our marriage. And I just pray, God, by your spirit, that you would continue to lead our husbands and wives in unity. God, that you would continue to cultivate uh, that relationship, that you would allow each other to respond in humility and to defer to one another and to help each other during this time. Um, that can be so easy to stir things, Lord, and for, for anger and frustration to surface. God, I just pray that you would help our gateway marriages remain focused on you, focused on uh, the, the beauty of your kingdom and just representing you well toward their children and just to keep our marriages strong. And again, by the love and grace and mercy that you offer. And so God, we continue to lift them up to you. And God, we thank you for the opportunities your word says you mandate and you ask us and to lift up our government leaders. Um, Lord, we thank you for our president and the task force and those involved who have been seeking wisdom from many individuals to get counsel and to make wise decisions during this time um, of life and death situations. We pray for every level, uh, local, city, state, and federal government, Lord, that you would, they would look to you, the one true source of all wisdom. God, we pray that you would speak and give wisdom and grace, uh, direction, strategies, all that that involves, trusting in your providence, trusting in your sovereignty that you would give wisdom and reveal yourself to these individuals to make the right decisions for our nation. And Lord, we, again, we thank you for the opportunity to pray 
uh, for those um, across the world. And Lord, this morning, as we just mentioned earlier, uh, we lift up Helena and those at the New Life Center in India. Lord, we pray you give Helena wisdom and those teachers and those a part of that ministry as they not only help to facilitate an education for students um, by phone and through uh, other type of media and technology, God, but they're also trying to reach families in the mountains around them to bring just the, the resources of just food, that simple thing that they need, Lord, for life. We pray you give them wisdom and strength, keep them healthy and strong as well. Give Helena wisdom and her staff on how they proceed with this. God, we do pray for your provision. We do pray for that you would provide the resources they need uh, to supply all that they need to do for the, for the teachers and for the food, whatever it's involved, God, we entrust them to you. And just say your kingdom come and your will be done. And Lord, we thank you again each week to pray for an unreached people group. And this morning, Lord, we lift up the Compti of northern Myanmar near India. And Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to be able to pray for this people group. Um, They obviously, many in that nation are Buddhist. And uh, obviously, Lord, looking to a false god, a false religion. And Lord, we just pray um, that you would do an amazing work as they're there near the border of India that you would even possibly call missionaries from India or the, the other side of, of Thailand where they are also bordering, Lord. And surprisingly, as I read and researched, Lord, many of these people in this people group speak the language of Thai. And so I know there's many Christians in Thailand. I pray, God, that somehow you would even stir something in some of those Christian Thai people that they would be led to go to this northern part of Myanmar to reach this people group with their language, that you would provide an opportunity to share the gospel, bring resources, things of that nature that they would use. And also knowing, Lord, in this society, it's very hierarchical with the tribal chief being at the top, then the Buddhist monks, and then the common people. And Lord, just as we saw in your word, Um, where Paul and them preached, and you saved the jailer, the head of his family, Lord, and then the whole household came to faith, and Cornelius and the whole household came to faith. God, I just ask specifically that you would do a work to save these tribal chiefs. And God, if you can save them and change them and transform them, God, what an opportunity that the rest of the tribe may lead or at least be interested in hearing about the gospel. So, Lord, we ask you to do a supernatural miracle work in reaching that group. Lord, again, we thank you each week for Grady. We thank you for his heart and his love for your word, his love to shepherd us and to uh, love on us and care for us. And God, we just pray this morning you would give him, again, as we do each week, just good strength and energy and health as he comes to declare your word. Give him wisdom and discernment as he is prepared so well and faithfully. Bless he and Julia and the kids, Lord, um, as they prepare for the birth of their fourth child. We pray for continued health for her in that preparation, God, and we're just so excited about what you're doing in their family and the wonderful times we get to look ahead and be excited about their new birth. So bless him, Lord, prepare him for this. And Lord, again, we thank you for your resources. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for all that have given online or sent in um, finances to support your kingdom work, even during this very difficult time. You are so good and so faithful. We ask you to bless those that have given, God, and that we can look to see all that's going to be used for for your kingdom work in this city and the river region and the world. We love you, God. We praise you. Again, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come, to stand in the gap, to pray to you, to look to you for all things. We love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Gateway family. I want you to find James chapter 2 and your copy of God's Word on your Bible app this morning, James chapter 2. Now, while you're finding James chapter 2, I want to ask you, Have you ever in life really, really wanted something only to realize that it did not live up to your expectations and you were really longing for the wrong thing? And there was something probably much better out there? 
I think this happened to all of us. I think back to our childhood, we all probably had that toy that we thought we just had to have. Then once we got it, we realized it wasn't quite as cool as the commercials made it look, or it wasn't quite as big as it looked in the catalog, and we realized we should have saved our money for something else. But it happens to adults as well. There's that restaurant that we hear we just have to go to, or that trip, or that destination, that place we need to be. And we get there, and it just doesn't quite measure up, and we realize we could have used our money or our time on something much better. It can happen on things of more significance as well. That job that we think is going to be amazing, and then we find it, and you realize, oh, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I should have pursued a different path instead. Friends, that can happen to us in lots of ways in life, and James is going to bring that up to us this morning and show us in a very significant way that there's a warning to us this morning in James 2 that we can long for the wrong things. What we're longing for that we think is what we need can actually be for the wrong things. And so James is going to call us to guard ourselves against those longings for the wrong things. Now, to understand what he's saying here in James chapter 2 and the verses we look at this morning, we need to understand what we've been seeing in recent weeks. James is concerned that we have real faith, a faith that transforms us, a faith that changes us in everything from how we view trials to how we speak, and as we were seeing last week, to how we relate to one another. In particular, in the verses that precede what we're looking at this morning, what we saw last Sunday, James is concerned and worried about favoritism in the life of the church. Favoritism being where you show preference for some believers over other believers because of some external thing that you've decided upon. Though it can happen in many ways, the example that James uses is that of wealth, preferring some believers because they're wealthy over others who are not. Now he's going to continue with that theme here, but in addressing that issue of favoritism, he's going to give us another important lesson that deals with our heart longings and what our heart is longing for. So read our verses this morning, just be looking for what should we be longing for and what are we tempted to long for instead? What is it that we should be longing for in life, but what is it that we're so tempted to long for instead? We're going to come to James chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. If you're able to ask you where you are to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, what a precious treasure we have in having God's revelation to us right here. James chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for your word when it convicts us and when it encourages us. And I pray this morning that your word would be transformative to us. That God, you keep showing us what real faith looks like. You keep showing us how our faith in you should change us and transform us and grow us. And Lord, our hearts are so deceitful. Our hearts can so quickly long for things besides what you want them to long for. So God, would you use your word as your Holy Spirit applies it to each one of us this day to show us areas where our heart longings do not align with where you want them to be so that we might find the joy of walking with you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What I want you to see from James chapter 2 this morning is simply this. It's really a challenge for us as well as an idea and a summary. And the challenge for us is this. Guard against longing for what the world offers when God offers something much better. Guard against longing for what the world offers to us when God offers something much, much better. Friends, if we're not careful, it's so easy to be swayed by the world's priorities, by the world's values, by what the world longs for. We need to guard ourselves, guard our thoughts, guard our affections from longing for what the world tells us we need to be longing for. And how do we do that? We do that by focusing on what God offers us instead. 
Because, friends, what God offers us is so much better than anything the world can offer to us. Guard against longing for what the world offers when God offers something much, much better. Now, let's see that in this text. I want to unpack that for us this morning. And first, the idea is that we need to be guarding ourselves, guarding our thoughts, guarding our feelings. Now, where do we see that in this text? Well, look at the very first word we read this morning in verse number five. Listen. Now, in the Greek, this is an imperative. So you can put this in bold, put an exclamation point next to it. James is saying, listen up, pay attention. What I'm saying is very, very important. Christian, we need to hear this because it's important. It's important, but it's also easy for us to miss. It's easy for us to long for the wrong things. And in fact, many of the early Christians that James was writing to were longing in their hearts for the wrong things. And so James, in his love for them, gives them a stern rebuke. He shouts them, listen, listen up to me here. But yet, even in his stern rebuke of them and the calling attention to them, he shows compassion for them and care for them. Notice he says, listen, my beloved brothers. James wanted God's best for them. James wanted them to live out what they believe. And so he was not afraid to lovingly correct them and to warn them. And in particular, he corrects them because they were longing for what the world offers. They were longing for what the world says they should be longing for. Now, when I say the world, I'm meaning the non-Christian values around us, the values of those who do not follow Christ, their ideals, their perspective, their worldview, how they process things. That's what I mean by the world. And these early Christians that James was writing to, they were beginning to adopt the world's thinking, particularly on the issue of money and wealth. And they were beginning to long for what the world said was important, being wealthy, spending time with wealthy people. And so James lovingly, in his concern for them, corrects them. Look at his correction down in verse number 6 in our text today. He says, But you have dishonored the poor man. And the word you here in the Greek is an emphatic pronoun. In a sense, he's raising his voice here to get their attention. If you are texting us today, you might text us in all caps. He's saying, you, you've done something. What have they done? He says, you've dishonored the poor. Now, this word dishonor can also be translated humiliated. He's saying to these believers that he loves, but he's worried about, he's saying, you have humiliated the poor around you, the poor in your midst. And how had they done that? Well, that was our text for last week, but go back up to be reminded of that. Verse number two. It says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, or I say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The issue that they were doing is they were dishonoring the poor. They were humiliating the poor by showing preference for the wealthy while excluding the poor from their lives. Instead of longing for what God says is important, they were longing for what the world says is important. And so they were sinning. And James loves them so much, he gently and firmly, firmly and lovingly corrects them in that. But he goes further. He wants them to understand how foolish it was for them to adopt the world's values, how foolish it was for them to be thinking like the world thinks on the issue of wealth. He shows them that what the world offers is going to disappoint them. Look at how he does this in verses 6 and 7. As we read this, you're going to see several questions here. In the Greek, these questions are designed to require a yes answer. So he's making a statement by asking a question. Look at verses 6 and 7 together here. He says, But you have dishonored the poor men. Are not, and the implication here is yes, they are, are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they, and implied here is yes, they are, not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now, he's helping them realize that what they're longing for is going to disappoint them. Their particular temptation was longing for friendship with the rich for their own selfish gain. 
and to help them see how foolish this was, he's going to show them what the rich do to them. Now, I need to explain something here for us so we understand this. When he's using the word rich, friends, he's using this in a general sense. He's describing a group, a class of society at the time. We need to understand at the time he was writing this, the society around had a very radical polarization of the classes between the rich and between the poor. And generally, he's not saying every rich person falls in this, but generally at the time, most in that rich class were non-Christians who were exploiting other people for their own gain. The ones who had the power and had the control were mostly, and there were exceptions, but he's saying generally these are a group of non-Christians who were using their power for their own selfish gain. And these young believers are longing for this friendship with this wealthy class, and James warns them, reminds them what the wealthy class were doing to them at the time. He shows them how three ways how the rich were hurting these believers. And look at the three ways he mentions. Number one, he says they oppressed poor Christians. They oppressed the poor Christians. Look at verse number six again in the way he phrased the question. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Now to oppress means to exploit, to take advantage of. In the Greek here, it's the present tense, means an ongoing action. Are not the rich the ones who oppress and keep on oppressing and keep on oppressing you? Those with wealth and power at the time, for the most part, took advantage of the poor, including the Christians, to gain even more wealth and even more power for themselves. They oppressed others. Number two, James says, but look, they also take the poor Christians to court. Also in verse number six here, he says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? And this is an example of how they oppress, how they exploit. Now, James doesn't tell us exactly why they were taking the poor to court, but we know from history at the time that it was common for this rich class of people to use the courts for their own gain. They could gain favorable outcomes from the courts. They would use property disputes to gain more land for themselves. They would use the courts to gain collections from the poor to get the last of what they had. And so James says, Christians, you're, you're longing for friendship with this wealthy group for your own gain. And yet these are the people who exploit you. These are the people who are going to take you to court. But there's one more thing he says to be aware of, and perhaps, friends, it's the most serious of all. This group that the young Christians were longing to be with, they blasphemed God. This group, the rich, this class of people were, for the most part, people who blasphemed God. Look at verse 7. He says, Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now, blasphemy is speech that dishonors God. It can be claiming to be God, but can also be mockery of God. And that's what's in view here. They were blaspheming God's name. We see this expression here in our verse, the honorable name by which you were called. This is not referring to the name of Christians or a term that the Christians were called. This is referring to the name of God. In the Greek here, this phrase is one of possession, one of relationship. It's saying they were blaspheming the name of the one to whom you belong. That is the name of Jesus. So what James is trying to tell these Christians is wake up. Your heart is longing for what the world says is most important, but you're longing for the wrong thing. And he's guarding them, warning them about pursuing what the world says they should be pursuing. Now, friends, these longings in their heart were wrong. These longings in their heart would disappoint them because what the world offers will always disappoint. I want to be clear about something here, friends, because James is not telling the Christians here, then or now, that it's okay to be angry with those who oppress them. He's not saying you can hate them. That's not what's in view here. Jesus makes it very clear in Luke chapter 6 that we're to love our enemies and we're to do good to those who hate us. 
And so this doesn't contradict that in any way. His point here is that we need to have a reorientation of our heart longings. We need to have a reality check that the thing that the world holds out to us, that offers to us, is going to disappoint us. That's not what God wants us pursuing and wants us longing after. Now, before we see what we should be longing after, I want to ask the question for us, well, what about you and me today? This is an example for us of how our heart can long for the wrong things. The particular issue for the early church here was they were longing for wealth, and they were longing for friendship with the wealthy. But friends, it can be other things as well. What is it for you and me today that our hearts are longing for instead of longing for God? It could be wealth like this. It could be friendship with the rich, but it could be many other things. It could be longing to look a certain way, to have a certain style of clothes, to have a certain body image. It could be a longing for fame or recognition or being noticed. It could be a longing in our hearts for gaining influence and gaining authority. It could be a longing for material things, cars or technology or the right house in the right neighborhood. It could be a longing for sexual gratification outside the covenant of marriage. It could be a longing for some relationship that we think will satisfy us. It could be a longing for finding our identity in some cause or thing that we're doing. It could be a longing for some milestone in our life that we think if we just get there, we'll be complete and we'll be satisfied. Friends, there's so many things that the world throws at us and holds before us saying, this is what you need to be complete. This is what you need to be satisfied. And if we're not careful, friends, we will spend our lives running after what the world tells us we need to be running after. But in reality, none of those things I just mentioned are the other things that can fill that place. None of those are going to satisfy us. None of those can satisfy the desires of our heart. All of those can potentially become idols in our life. And so James lovingly to the believers then and to believers for us today shows us that we need to guard against longing for what the world offers when God offers us something so much better. And that brings us to the most important part of this text, friends. What is it that God offers to us that's so much better than anything else that can be held before us? We'll go back up to verse number five. Look at what God offers to us. Again, this is going to be phrased as a question with the answer yes required by the question. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not, and yes he has, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? He says, if you are a follower of Christ, friends, this is you. God has chosen you. He has done what you could never do, taking a rebellious people and reconciling them to himself and making us his own and giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's chosen to do that for undeserving sinners like us. Friends, this is nothing new in the scripture here that God has chosen us and given to us in his grace salvation. Jesus said this, if you remember two years ago when we studied the gospel of John, in John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus himself said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. When we studied Ephesians last year, Paul said the same thing in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. But friends, this is not even new to James he said this for us in a different way in James chapter 1, verse 18. Of his, God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And this is a, such a reminder to us that our salvation, our relationship with God is 100% his grace gift to us. It's his initiation, his work. We are completely dependent upon his grace. I want to give us an important clarification in our verses this morning about who God gives this salvation to. Look back at verse 5 here with me. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Now notice this phrase, God has chosen the poor 
in the world. Because, friends, this phrase has been misunderstood and misapplied in different times throughout church history and still today. When he says the poor in the world are the ones God chooses, this does not mean that every poor person is going to be saved. It does not mean that all the poor will be saved and rescued in this. James clarifies that in the context here further in verse 5. Notice the last phrase of verse 5, which he, God, has promised. Notice this, to those who love him. If God has given us his grace and given us salvation, friends, it is going to change us. It's going to give us a love for him. This phrase, to those who love him, this is a present participle in Greek, which means it's ongoing action. That those who belong to God love him and keep on loving 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 him. Not because of anything we're doing, but because we've experienced his grace and he's changed our desires and given us a heart that now loves him and a heart that now longs for him. Friends, that's why we stress over and over here at Gateway that you cannot put your confidence in salvation in a prayer you prayed as a child or walking an aisle or shaking the pastor's hand or being baptized or whatever else. Friends, true followers of Christ, the evidence, the fruit is the transformation that God gives to us, this love in our heart for him that grows, this desire to walk with him that grows. So, friends, this phrase that God chooses the poor of the world does not mean that all the poor are saved, nor does it mean, friend, that only the poor are saved. It doesn't mean that only poor people are saved. We see in Scripture rich people who follow God, and God welcomes them into his kingdom. Friends, it also does not mean that money is bad or wealth is bad. Anything that we have is a grace gift from God, and we see throughout Scripture the teaching on stewardship, that whatever God gives to us, money, possessions, whatever else, he gives to us for a reason, for us to steward it well, for us to use it for his purposes. So what then is the point? If the point of this is not that all poor are saved, but the point of this is that not the only the poor are saved, what is James saying? James is showing us that God does not favor the wealthy or the powerful in his kingdom. If we were God, the way our human hearts are, we would most want to draw close to us the people who are the movers and the shakers and the influencers. And James is saying that's not who God is. God chooses people who the world would not choose to be in his kingdom to belong to him. That's what we saw last week, and I mentioned Galatians 3.28 that God chooses both Jew and Greek or Gentile. He chooses male and female. He chooses people of different backgrounds and social influence to all be in his kingdom. And friends, do you realize the hope this would give to the early church? If you remember when we started the book of James, I told you that the original audience of this would be people who had been scattered from Jerusalem because of persecution. They were starting over with nothing. They were poor. They were oppressed. They had very little chance of getting ahead in this world. And when they would hear what James is saying, that God is choosing the poor of the world, this would give them such comfort and such hope. Now, we see this in other places in Scripture as well, that most of the early church was not a group of people who were wealthy. It was a group of people who were poor. Paul mentions this as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. He tells the people in Corinth, For consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise. Now, let me just pause there. He says, not many of you. Again, this doesn't mean that everyone who's a Christian fits this description. This means this is what most of, most of the early church was like. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? Verse 29 here. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
Friends, this truth that God welcomes the poor people into his kingdom would give such hope and comfort to James's hearers. And we have such hope and comfort to much of the early church. And friends, if we're honest, it gives hope and comfort to most of global Christianity throughout our Christian history. What we've experienced with the affluence you and I have, where we live in this day and time, this is an anomaly in church history. This is not the norm what you and I have. We need to remember that throughout much of church history, most Christians have not been wealthy. Friends, this is an incredible correction to so much of the prosperity teaching today that tells us that God wants us to be wealthy and free of all sickness and all these things. Friends, we say over and over, God's plan for us is not for us to have an easy life. God's plan for us is not to get us from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, wealthiest, most comfortable way possible. That's not consistent with Scripture, and that's not consistent with what we see throughout all of church history as well. And so James is giving such hope right here to these believers who are struggling And he's encouraging them to focus not on what they do not have, but to focus on what they do have. And notice what they do have here in verse 5. This is incredible, friends, that in Christ, this is what God gives us, regardless of whether or not we have earthly power or earthly fame or earthly wealth. That doesn't really matter. Look at what God offers to us instead if we are in Christ. Go back to verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom. Notice these two expressions, that we're to be rich in faith. To be rich here means to have a surplus of something, an overabundance of something. Well, these early Christians did not have an overabundance of money, but God gave them something better. They had an overflowing abundance of faith. Yes, faith is initial belief and trust in God, but faith is ongoing belief in God. It is the ability to live out what we say we believe. And realize this, God has given them in his grace overabounding, overflowing, rich faith to believe in him, to want to be changed by him, to long to live for him. That God has given them this amazing grace gift of rich, overflowing faith. But he gives them a second thing as well. Notice back in verse 5 also. He says they are to be rich in, the, in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Heirs of the kingdom. The word heirs here is a family term for those who get an inheritance. In history, that's why you talk about who was the heir to the throne or who was the heir to the family fortune. Now, James is reminding them and us, we may not be heirs of riches or fame or power in this life, but we have something so much better. We are heirs of God. We are heirs of his kingdom. We belong to him. We've been adopted by him, and we now have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places now. And we have waiting for us eternity in God's presence where we see God face to face and we see him in all of his glory. And friends, and we're free of pain and free of trials and free of suffering and free of all temptations in a perfect bliss with God forever and ever and ever, and it'll never end. That even 10 trillion years from now, it'll have just begun in this place of perfection, being in the presence of God. And friends, that can never be taken from us. No matter what we have or don't have in this life, that can never be taken from us. That's why I love how Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He describes it as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's imperishable, it is undefiled, and it is unfading. Friends, all the stuff I mentioned earlier that our hearts can long for, friends, it's all going to perish one day. It all can be defiled and corrupted or broken, and it can all fade and go away. But what God offers us in eternity is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Do you realize how incredible this is? That God gives to us right now a rich, overflowing, transforming faith. 
And God promised us for all eternity this inheritance that is far beyond anything we can imagine, being with him forever. And friends, this is not just some wishful thinking. This is a promise of God. Again, look at the last part of verse number five here. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Because he's promised. God always keeps his word. This is not wishful thinking. This is what God is guaranteeing to those who follow him. Rich faith now and eternity in his kingdom forever. Friends, can you imagine the hope that brings to Christians who are struggling, to Christians who are suffering, to Christians who in the world's mind are going to amount to little in this life? And James reminds them that we have something so much better than the world can offer. We've been chosen by the Almighty God. We've been loved by Him. We've been given rich, overflowing faith, and we've been given the promise of eternity with God. And think, friends, as we focus on that, how that will guard our hearts from longing for what the world offers when we realize all these blessings we have from God. My friends, it gave them hope, but again, what about you and me today? Think back to the question from a few minutes ago. Friends, what is it that our hearts long for? What is it that the world is saying, you need this, you need to pursue this, that our hearts are wanting to run after so much? Friends, what is it for us? Whatever it is, friends, for you, I can promise you it's not going to satisfy. It's not going to give the joy. It's not going to give the hope of what God is offering to us right here. But God in his grace can restore our hope in him. God in his grace can restore our focus on eternity. God in his grace can realign our priorities. So friends, my challenge for us this week is let's ask God for much grace to guard us from longing for what the world offers, to guard us from thinking we need all that stuff out there in the world to be complete and to realize our identity in Christ because all that we have for all eternity belonging to him. Now, friends, as we close, I want to read you an example of someone in Scripture who God realigned his priorities to think with eternity in view, someone who God guarded against longing for what the world offered and by reminding of what God provided as well. It's going to sound familiar to you because when we began the coronavirus trial, I, I preached from this psalm. But I want us to end with this because it's such a, just a fitting description of what we're seeing here today, of how God's grace can guard us against longing for what the world offers by reminding us what God offers that's so much better instead. This is an example of Asaph in Psalm 73. Just listen to a few verses of what Asaph said once God realigned him. Psalm 73, verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, God. You, God, hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion, my contentment forever. Friends, would you pray with me? Father, I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters who are watching online today. God, that you would give us much grace to guard our hearts from longing for what the world offers. God, you know how we're bombarded through the media, through marketing, through just living in this world. Of all these things that pull at us, that we can so easily, like the early Christians in James, we can so easily find our longings and our heart affections and our thoughts all running after all these things that we think we need to be happy, to be complete, to be satisfied, when all along those won't satisfy. And you're standing there giving us rich faith, giving us making us heirs of your kingdom, giving us every spiritual blessing. God, would you forgive us for being so short-sighted 
that so often, like these early Christians, James writes to, we're longing for all this stuff of the world that will perish, and we're ignoring that which you give us that is imperishable, undefiled, and kept in heaven for us. So God, would you look upon us, your people, and give much grace to realign our priorities, even this week, to realign our thinking and our affections this week, to long to know you, to long to be with you, to long to be rich in faith, and to long to be heirs of your kingdom. And Father, I pray that you would give us such grace that you'd be transforming our hearts, that we might be able to say with integrity, like Asaph says in Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Lord, we can't manufacture that. We can't do that. But God, you can give us a rich faith that produces that. And I pray you might do that this week because it'd be from you so we won't be able to boast. You'll get all the glory and we'll get all the joy of belonging to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing our closing song this morning, Gateway Family?
Father, what great truth we have just proclaimed in song. Lord, it is a reminder of your grace that everything we have has come from you. Lord, there's nothing that we have that has not come from your hands. And I pray as we remember that this week, as the Holy Spirit within us reminds us of all these blessings we have in Christ, that what we've just sung will be the, the song in our mouth and our hearts all week long, that God, you are worthy of it all. Lord, give us grace this week to long to live our lives in such a way that we proclaim your greatness, that we live to exalt you and magnify you, that we long to be with you, because God, you are worthy of everything we can give and so much more. God, we are so thankful for your grace, and I pray that you would remind us of it each and every day as we experience your grace upon grace upon grace. And I ask today, God, once again, that you bless the people of Gateway. God, that you would just turn their thoughts to heaven, to eternity in the midst of the lingering coronavirus. God, that you would guard us from the longings for things of the world, and we would be a people, God, who are captivated by how worthy you are. And Lord, you will get all the glory in that, and we will find all the joy, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. I long to see you in person soon. Have a great Sunday afternoon. <laughs>